Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. I'm so pleased to be talking this morning because I'm talking about my favourite topic, which is food. Um, <laughs> and not that I'm going to talk about, about Slimming World or anything like that, but it's amazing how obsessed you become with food when, you, when you're, doing some, you're following some kind of, of lifestyle thing like that. You know, every conversation has a connection to food. Um, what's good food? What's bad food? What's good for you? What's bad for you? What do you like? What you don't like? All that kind of stuff. Your whole conversation seems geared around food. And, and actually, for me, family meals were always really important. Um, and tea, um, as we called it in our house, because we're from the black country, not dinner. It was tea in Netherton. Um, we had to get together as a family around the table. And it's where we were asked about our day. It's where stories were told. Um, even if we weren't speaking to one another, even if the siblings had fallen out and we weren't speaking to them, you know, those times you go, tell him to pass the ketchup, mum, you know, those kind of things. We still had to sit around the table together. And it was always made clear to us that, that this time was a privilege to be enjoyed, even though sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I endured it. Um, there wasn't any reason good enough to miss family meal time, and tell you what, we all tried. And when it comes to the issues of eating and food, you know the Bible talks about these things over a thousand times? A thousand times. And meals were always central to the life of Jesus. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke, which I'm doing at the moment, um, it feels like Jesus is either coming from, going to, or just had, or having one. So do you know what we keep saying to you about, if you become a Christian, our goal is to become more like Jesus. You know what? I'm in for that meal one. I'm in for that following Jesus in that. I'm totally on board with that one. And I love the words, let's eat. Let's eat. Um, well, I do, apart from... Some of the times when I've, I've been on mission or I've been in other countries and they've brought out certain foods for you to try. Have you been there? And, and whenever's led the mission, they've said to you, look, whatever they bring out, just eat it. Whatever they bring, just have it. It will have cost them a lot of money. It will be their delicacy, be their national dish, whatever it is. Watch your face, Jane, and just eat it. And anybody have had durian? Have you ever got close enough to that thing to just... Oh, the smell is just awful, but apparently it tastes quite nice. Um, I never really got there. And then so I remember being one place, um, and they brought out a drink that I can only describe to you. It looked like frog spawn. That's all I can say it was. And you, know, you have to have it, because everybody's looking at you, aren't they, and thinking, how, how, how are the Western people going to cope with this, I think is what they're really thinking. But actually, but you have to have it, because you want to honour what they've done, and and so when the guy said, let's see, on that day, I definitely wasn't on board with being like Jesus at that particular moment. But, but you have to do it. And because normally I love food and I love eating. And, and I did really enjoy those times with my family. Why? Because being invited to eat isn't just about meeting our hunger needs. It's not just about eating our hunger needs. In fact, I would say it's equally about connecting and relationship. It's who I'm having and sharing that food with. And there's always extra food on our table because often some of the neighbours' kids would pitch up if they were having trouble with the parents in their street. It's only when you look back at your life, isn't it, and you see some of the stuff that was going on, you understand how maybe some of your parents operated and there was always an extra seat at our table. And I think eating with somebody is one of the most intimate connections you can ever have. Um, maybe that's why so many first dates are around food. But also there are lots of foods you never, never ever order on a first date, aren't there? Never ever spaghetti bolognese on a first date. Never, never ever. Because um, eating together is a coming together. It's a fellowship. It's a sharing. It's a connection. 
And a recent study I read said this, I'm going to read this. It says, children who are ate regularly with their parents or with adults were considerably healthier and 72% less likely to experience depression, struggle with self-esteem, develop eating disorders than those who did not. Do you know, meals are really important. Not because of what we're eating, it's who we're eating with. And that's why this is such a great message today, because Jesus is inviting us this morning to come and eat. And that invitation is for everyone. And last week, Leon spoke about the invitation to follow. And if you've not had the podcast or watched it online, please do that. It was such a great message. And, and, but we can still follow at a distance, you know. We can consider following. If I can just see you in my eye line, then I'm following. I know where you are. I can see where you're going. And I am coming. But listen, when we're invited to eat, eating brings an intimacy to someone who is following. And in essence, accepting the invitation to eat can take us from following to friendship. Can take us from following to friendship. And whether you know Jesus or not this morning, whether you feel that you fit in or not, whether you feel far from God or you feel as close to him as you ever, ever have been in your experience, the invitation is still the same. It's still, will you come and eat? So that if that is the invitation, how do we receive the notification and more importantly, what keeps us from attending? And we're going to look at um, a story in Luke chapter 14. It's going to come up on the screen for us where Jesus, believe it or not, is already at a party himself. So verses um, from, the, from the Passion Translation, just if you want to know what the TPT stands for. And it says, when Jesus noticed how the guests for the meal were all vying for the seats of honour, he shared this story with the guests around the table. When you're invited to an important social function, don't be quick to sit near the head of the table, choosing the seat of honour. What will happen when someone more distinguished than you arrives? The host will then bring him over to where you're sitting and ask for your seat, saying in front of all the guests, you're in the wrong place. Please give this person your seat. Disgraced, you will have to take whichever seat is left. Instead, when you're invited to a banquet, you should choose to sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes and sees you there, he might say, my friend, come with me and let me seat you in a better place. Then in front of all the other guests at the banquet, you'll be honoured and seated in the place of highest respect. Remember this, everyone with a lofty opinion of who he is and who seeks to raise himself up will be humbled before all and everyone with a modest opinion of who he is and chooses to humble himself will be raised up above all. This is great advice, you know. Nothing worse or embarrassing to sit somewhere you're not supposed to be, is there? Or in somebody else's seat. I got on a train once. I got into first class. Had I got a first class ticket? Nope. Did I eat the food? Yes. Did the conductor man come? Yep. Did he not say to me, did you not think when all the food came round you might be sitting in the wrong seat? I just thought, I just thought British Rail had improved the service. <laughs> did I have to move? Oh yes. Nothing worse than embarrassing is there than having to change seats. This seems a bit random at the start of his story, but nothing Jesus ever says is random because he then goes on to tell this story verse 16 Jesus replied with this parable there was a man who invited many to join him in a great feast now Jesus is presenting how the kingdom of God here is like a party and I don't know what you think heaven is going to be like 
Whether you think we're going to be all dressed in white, strumming carps on the cloud, eternally singing, we need to get some perspective about that, you know. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God. And God loves meeting with his people. Maybe that's why we love getting together and eating and having a party. Listen, God is a happy, celebratory, loving God. He loves getting together and meeting together with his family. And in fact, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. He fixed the food and drink problem. That's what Jesus did. So verse 17 says, And when the day for the feast arrived, the host instructed his servant to notify all the invited guests and tell them, Come for everything is now ready for you. In those days, there were two invitations. Save the date is nothing new. Save the date is nothing new. Because there couldn't be an exact set time, could there? It wasn't like you got the caterers in. People were traveling. Weren't sure when they were going to actually arrive. So they sent out a kind of save the date invite first. That would tell them roughly when it was on, where it would be. And then the second invitation would go, and that was the invitation that said, come on, everything's ready, the food's here, let's all get together. So here we have a bunch of people that have already been invited and probably said yes. So now the guy's got it all together, and the second one goes out. And then we get verse 18, but one by one, they all made excuses. One said, I can't come, I just bought some property, and I'm obligated to go and look it over. Listen, just look at some of these excuses. Who buys a property without seeing it? And even if they had, why can't they go tomorrow? It's not going anywhere. The next one, verse 19. Another said, please accept my regrets, for I just purchased five teams of oxen, and I need to make sure they can pull the plough. Now listen, five yokes of oxen is a major financial investment. Historians tell me that buying one yoke would cost about half a year's income. So my maths isn't great, but that's two and a half years worth of money there that somebody's just got rid of without seeing them or knowing they can do the job. This is worse than I'm stopping in and washing my hair. It really is. Verse 20, another one said, I can't come because I just got married. I may just leave that hanging. But who wouldn't want a free meal when you just got married? Listen, when Russ and I first got married, we had a patio set and a bed in our house. That's all we had. We'd have killed for a meal from anybody at that point. All of these excuses are worse than lame. Verse 21, the servant reported back to the host and told him of all their excuses. So the master became angry and said to his servant, go at once throughout the city, invite anyone you find, the poor, the blind, the disabled, the hurting and the lonely, and invite them to my banquet. There are two shocking things here. The first shocking is the original people didn't come, even after saying yes. And the more shocking thing is that this rich guy would then fill up his house with all of these people. Do you see any excuses from those guys? No way, they all snap up the offer. They could have said, Brother, what am I going to wear? I haven't got anything to wear. I don't know anybody. Um, oh, I, I, you really don't want me there. Why would you want me there? No, they don't say that. This is what happens. Verse 22 says, When the servant returned to his master, he said, Sir, I have done what you've asked, but there's still room for more. So the master said, All right, go out again, and this time bring them all back with you. Persuade the beggars on the streets, the outcasts, even the homeless. Urgently insist that they come in and enjoy the feast so that my house 
will be full. Listen, we've only just started on the shock factor here. In Jewish culture, the highways and hedges meant the moral outcasts of that society. These would be so outside of society, they'd be outside probably the city walls. People that in their society would never ever eat with these people, let alone have them in their house, have them at a party. And Jesus says, come to mine, come to my party. And they accept, they didn't say, but I haven't had a bath for days. I'm going to stink. The servant convinced them what that they were wanted, and even more than that, they were welcome. They were wanted and they were welcome. And for those of us who know Jesus today, that is our job. Our job is to make people who do not know him or have a relationship with him know that they are wanted and know that they are welcome. They knew their own need. We didn't need to tell them, they knew they were hungry. The servant didn't get background checks on them. He didn't check out whether their nationality, didn't check out what their etiquette was or whether they knew which fork or spoon to use. The invitation was not based on anything at all to do with them. It was based solely on the goodness and the bounty of the host. All they had to do was say yes. All we have to do is ask. Verse 24. I say to you all, the one who receives an invitation to feast with me and makes excuses will never enjoy my banquet. Do you notice something interesting here? It suddenly goes to the first person. Up until this point, he's been telling a story. Now he says, receives an invitation to feast with me. It's personal. This story is related to him. He's the master in the story. This is a house full of probably religious and prominent people that he's speaking to. Maybe they said yes to save the date. And now Jesus has come. They don't want to attend. So why don't people respond to the invitation? There are probably many reasons, but here are two main ones. The first one is this. We fail to recognize the importance of the invitation. The excuses given aren't really bad in themselves, are they? You know, I've bought some land, I've bought some oxen, I've just got married. No one's saying I've got to pull off a drug deal, I'm going to burgle some houses and it's going to exploit some people. Nobody's making some really bad things or doing some, making some really bad choices. They become bad only when they're used to justify ignoring something that's of a greater importance. They're not legitimate excuses when you weigh them against the importance of the invitation they've just received. What do I mean? Um, sometimes I get a phone call. Maybe I'm at work and I'm speaking to somebody and somebody wants to speak to me. And the message will go back. Oh, she's in a meeting at the moment. Oh, she's just speaking to somebody. Do you mind if she phones you back? That's not a problem, is it? That's a good reason. And they do that. That's a legitimate excuse. And sometimes I'm the person on the other end of the phone getting that reason or that excuse, waiting for them to ring me back. So, so it, it works both ways. But what if that person's ringing me and says, can you tell her a house is on fire? Or can you tell her Russ has just been rushed into hospital? Then me going back and saying, oh, well, I'm just meeting with somebody. I'm just really busy. Can I ring him back? Isn't really a legitimate excuse, is it? My house is on fire. I need to go. I need to respond to that invitation to come. Here's the important question. How important is an invitation from God? Wouldn't that be everything that's just going on on earth? You see, we can make excuses because we're preoccupied with things, just like the man and his land. 
We make excuses because we're preoccupied with making a living like the guy with the oxen. We make excuses. I make excuses because I'm choosing to put others before God, the guy and his new wife. Listen, God isn't saying those things aren't important. He's saying, don't let those things postpone your response or ignore the invitation that you're getting from me. That's what he's saying. You see, if you received an invitation from the queen to attend the royal wedding, you wouldn't go, oh, well, I've got a bit of washing up to do here, Liz. I'm not quite sure I'm going to get it all in, love. You wouldn't, would you? You'd be there. Do you know how invites from the queen go out? It should come up on the screen. The Lord Chamberlain is commanded by the queen to invite, insert your name. What's the invite we all receive this morning? I think we get an invite like this. The Lord Jesus Christ has been commanded by the sovereign God to invite you, insert your name, to his banquet. Here's our invitation. Come and eat to those who are lost to be found, to those who are broken to be put back together, for lonely people to find a family, for my shame the things I have done wrong to be wiped away. Wouldn't that invitation be everything else? Wouldn't it? Even if you're not sure this morning whether you believe in God or not, whether you want to pursue a relationship with Jesus or not, isn't it worth checking it out? What if everything I'm saying this morning is 100% absolutely true? What if Jesus dying on the cross really had the meaning he said it did? What if he really was dying in your place? Isn't it worth checking out the invitation? And the second reason is this. People feel unworthy of receiving it. People feel unworthy of receiving the invitation. Listen, this story Jesus told was above scandalous. I was trying to think of a 21st century um, illustration of that, and I couldn't because it was so scandalous. I couldn't think of anything that wouldn't be offensive that, that I could explain to you. Rich people would never invite the poor, the lame, the blind and outcast to their home to be social. But this is exactly who Jesus says God has invited. And a lot of people miss the party because they don't believe that God would ever really want them to be there. Do you ever get an invitation and think, well, they didn't really want me to come. I'm, I'm the bump up on the list or I'm the, you know, they couldn't get enough people to go so they just asked me. And we, we have this rhetoric with ourselves because we think the person who's invited us doesn't really want us to be there. And I've realized, you know, there's something instinctive in our human condition when it comes to this that feels like we have to earn what we receive. I remember going to one of those bring and share meals um, where, you know, you get invited and you're supposed to take something for people to eat. Um, only I didn't. Um, I don't I can't remember whether I didn't know that or if I did, I'd forgotten it, which if you know me really well, that is really possible. Um, so I pitch up at this thing suddenly realize I haven't brought anything. Did I feel like I should eat anything? No, because I hadn't bought anything. Could I have eaten something? Yes. Did I have to be cajoled into that? Yes, but this isn't how God operates. There is literally no dish good enough, fine dining or master chef produced enough that I could bring to God's banquet. Do you know that? My best flat sponge isn't going to cut it. It just isn't. No matter how great you are, the Bible says everything I think is a righteous act. Everything I think is good is the Bible calls a filthy rag. What an image that is. 
You see, I'm the poor. I'm the broken. I'm the crippled. I'm the lame. I'm that highway and hedge person. Yet God has invited me and you to come and eat. This is a completely free invitation for me and you. It's not a fundraiser. I don't have to pay 100 pounds for the kingdom of God. That's why we're really clear, if you are a guest here today, and you, you know, that when the offering comes around, we don't say you have to give. It's not about that. It's about responding to the invitation. You're not paying to join the kingdom of God. And he doesn't expect you to bring anything either. Everything I need or I could possibly want is already on the table. Look at the food on God's table. This is our spiritual menu, and it's more than that. I couldn't get everything on of what we get to eat at the table with God. All I need to do, all you need to do, is to bring yourself and an appetite. And an appetite. It's totally free for us because the host is picking up the bill. I'm eating all of this at his expense. And Jesus is looking around at this party and he's noticed that the guy throwing the party has only invited his rich, popular friends. And Jesus wasn't rich. He was probably getting a reputation for doing things at eating times or at parties, like the water into wine stuff and his miracles. They probably invited him to see what he would do. But what does he say? This is really interesting. Verses 12 to 14, then Jesus turned to his host and said, when you throw a banquet, don't just invite your friends, relatives or rich neighbours, for it's likely they will return the favour. It is better to invite those who never get an invitation. Invite the poor to your banquet, along with the outcast, the handicapped and the blind, those who could never repay you the favour. Then you will experience a great blessing in this life and at the resurrection of the godly, you will receive a full reward. You see, Jesus looks around and he's literally saying, when you have a party, don't invite all these people you've got around you here. Invite people that you have no agenda for. Have nothing that you're interested in in that sense. Because what Jesus was suggesting in these days was economic suicide. This is where all the business deals took place. This is where I invite you to my house, you'll invite me back to yours, won't you? Then I'll see what you've got. And then we'll come into some kind of business deals and we'll get a mutual back-scratching thing going on. To invite the people that Jesus was suggesting would mean investing in people, spending your time and your money on people that couldn't add any financial benefit to your life, one iota. And remember, Jesus invites people to his banquet who can't add one extra bit of value to his life either in that way. I can't make Jesus any bigger or greater than he is just because he knows me. You see, Jesus isn't just generous with the menu. He's generous with the guest list. And it's not all about what we are eating, but who we are choosing to eat with. And that just made me think, you know, if my life was depicted as a party, if your life was depicted as a party, Who'd be invited to yours? Who am I throwing a party for? Who's eating at my table? But the biggest invitation this morning is to come and eat and eat at God's table. And this is the biggest invitation we will ever, ever receive. 
to the greatest banquet of all time. So how will we respond this morning? And invite the band to come back. How will we respond this morning? You see, what may be standing in your way from responding to the invitation God has extended to you, maybe for the first time? Are you postponing it? Are you ignoring it? Maybe for a better time or a more convenient time or... You know, when you ignore or postpone an invitation, people can often take that as a refusal. I wonder sometimes why Russ and I get invited to any weddings, because we are terrible for responding. Terrible. The nine times after ten, they have to go, are you coming? And it's not because we don't want to be there. It's because I really, really plan to respond. And then other stuff comes in, it just falls out the back of my head, and I think, I'll do that tomorrow. Actually, I'm postponing. Postponing? responding do you know what I mean it's like if I did it when I first thought about it and made the decision there and then we wouldn't have those conversations later down the line because people make the assumption that you're not coming so maybe you need to respond for the first time maybe you've given up your seat at the family table because you no longer feel you deserve to have it maybe something has happened in your life maybe you feel you've made a choice maybe you feel you've had an experience that means that you don't deserve to sit at the table anymore. And it's almost like you're looking through the restaurant windows. Have you ever done that when you're walking, you're looking through and seeing what people are eating and thinking, oh, I'd love some of that. But you don't go in. You just keep walking. God wants to say to you this morning, come and pull up a chair. There's plenty. There's plenty. There's nothing you need to bring other than you. Or maybe you're keeping a seat for somebody at the table. Maybe there's somebody you've been praying for for a long time. Maybe um, there's somebody that you would really love to see come back, who was once a Christian, followed Jesus. Or maybe somebody that you'd love to see respond for the first time. Maybe you need to remind them and then extend the invitation again. Christmas is a great time for that reminder. So as the band start to play, which one of these three resonate with you this morning? Do you need to respond for the first time? Do you need to bring your chair back to the table? Do you need to be a host and extend the invitation again to someone? And there are four ways we can respond this morning as the band start to play. You can either stay where you are and as we start to sing, Enjoy that communion with God. Enjoy that fellowship, that connection and eat with him in that way. There's a cross at the back and there are cards there. Maybe you need to go and say yes to God's invitation for the first time. Don't postpone it. Don't put it off to a more convenient time. Do you know what? There's never a more convenient time than right now. Than right now. And there's communion available at the side here, at the back. What a great place to come back to the table and eat with God again and reconnect and pull your chair back up to the family table. I'll invite you to do that. Or maybe you're keeping a seat for somebody that you'd love to be at the table with you. Then I'll invite you to go and light a candle for them and say, I'm lighting this as a reminder that I'm keeping this seat for 
whoever that is, but then go and extend an invitation to them. There are loads of things that are on over the Christmas period that you can invite someone to. Be brave, be courageous, be a host and invite someone. And if you need prayer, maybe there's something that is really a stumbling block for you. We have our prayer team over here in the prayer space and they'd love to pray for you. We want to help you respond to the invitations that God is making this morning. So I want to invite us all to stand. And I'm just going to pray. And then I'll ask you to go and respond. Either go to the cross, take communion, light a candle, go and receive some prayer, or just eat where you are with God. Father, I want to thank you that your invitation is for one and for all. And however we try and excuse ourselves or give reasons why we shouldn't have an invitation or we shouldn't respond, yes. God, the fact and the truth is that you want us all around your table this morning. And you just want to say to us, we just pull up a chair. We can work everything else out on the way. But please come to the family table. Come and eat with me. Come and share with me. Let's reconnect. And so God, I pray for boldness and courage this morning. For us to respond to what you're saying to us in our hearts. For those that need to respond to your invitation for the first time. For those that need to return to the table. For those that are keeping a seat for someone that would really love to be there with them. Father, would you let us respond to you. With our hearts today. So come Holy Spirit. And whichever way we want to respond. Let's respond to Jesus' invitation to come and eat. Amen. So when you're ready, just go and respond how you need to respond.